Good morning. I think if we were going to take a survey on what is to define us as Christians, one of the things that would rise to the top of that list would be that we are to be servants. And if there's a passage about being a servant in the Bible, this is it. But I think that as we think through this idea of being servants and we start to weigh our motives for service, it gets a little bit messy. Some of us will serve out of sort of a guilty conscience. If we know that other people are going to see that we're not serving, we'll serve sort of because we feel bad. Others of us will serve as people pleasers. We always want people to be happy with us, and so we will externally kind of go through the motions, even though internally we don't really want to be doing those things. And there's all sorts of other motives that we would dig into in order to serve. But I think there's a common denominator among all of those different motivations. And that is that we are often serving to get something. We're serving to get a clear conscience. We're serving so that we can feel better about ourselves. And what we're going to see in this passage is that's not really serving at all. If you think about it, it's just pure selfishness. The person that you're serving is your self. And so we're going to see something counterintuitive in the passage. We're going to see that to serve Jesus, we must be served by Jesus. See, true service is not you giving something to God to pay him back. It is Jesus living his life in and through you. So service, we'll see is actually a type of receiving. So we're going to look at this story of Jesus washing feet as kind of the example of service and see what we can learn from it. So the first thing we're going to see in the text is the meaning of washing feet. Look with me again at verses 1 through 11. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, 
not all of you are clean. The first thing we notice in the text is that Jesus knew exactly who he was. The text says that he knew that he came from the Father, that he knew he was going back from the Father. So Jesus had this absolutely solid identity. He knew that he was the Father's Son, and therefore he had the humility to serve. Because in serving, he wasn't letting go of his identity. Often, we're afraid to serve because we're afraid that we'll be viewed a certain way. Jesus had no such concern. He knew exactly who he was. And because he knew exactly who he was, he had the humility to serve the disciples. They're all reclining at this table, and what was true was that their feet would have been really nasty. And that's because they wore sandals and they walked on muddy streets that were also traveled by animals. So those streets were covered with manure. So you have to understand, these guys' feet stunk. And Jesus took the form of a servant. And it would have been shocking to his disciples what he was doing. Because it was understood by most people who were Jewish, as his disciples were in that day, that even a Jewish servant was not allowed to wash your feet. It was beneath them. So if somebody was going to wash your feet, it had to be a non-Jew. And so here's Jesus, whom they believed to be God, sitting at the table with them, and they see him start to move toward this basin of water and to grab this towel and to bend down and to start to make his way around the table washing feet. And what we know about Peter is that Peter is the leader. And so Peter is the first one to speak, but he's also, in a way, speaking for all of the other disciples. He's just saying what they think. We all have friends like this. And so you can almost see the wheels spinning in Peter's mind as he's washing one person's feet after another, and he's waiting until Jesus gets to him to say what he needs to say about what Jesus is doing. And he's like, okay, I I got the perfect thing to say. You can't wash my feet. (laughs) And Jesus says, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no share with me. And then Peter's like, okay, that was the wrong thing to say. Let me say something else. Let me try this. Okay, wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, listen, you already took a bath this morning, right? Like all you guys took a bath, so your whole body is clean. So the only thing that needs to be washed is your feet. He's like, okay, that makes sense, I guess. Then Jesus says something strange. What I am doing now, you do not understand. 
but afterward you will understand. What is it about what Jesus is doing that he doesn't understand? It seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Jesus is, in an act of humility, washing their feet. But we get insight into the text from John when we zoom out and look at the context of what Jesus is saying. Look with me again at verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world. The greater context is Jesus is moving toward the cross. So what we need to understand about this story is that Jesus is saying that he is pointing to something greater than foot washing. See, the meaning of foot washing is Jesus showing his disciples in a vivid illustration what he is about to do at the cross. See, what's true theologically at the cross is that when you believe in Jesus, you are immediately justified. That is made clean. Your whole body is clean. You are declared by the God of the universe not guilty on the basis of what Jesus has done for you at the cross. And yet, every day, your feet get dirty. Every day, you still sin. Every day, you're still in need of ongoing cleansing. Jesus is saying to Peter, you're justified, you're clean, because you've believed in me. But every single day, you are going to need me to forgive you for your actual sins that you've committed that day. So yes, we're going to see that Jesus sets us an example by washing feet. And we should go and do likewise. But the deeper meaning of the text is something that we cannot do likewise. It is something that Jesus has once and for all done for us at the cross for our salvation. Guys, I've seen this illustration play out in vivid form many times in my life as a college pastor. See, before the semester would start in the fall, we would have this event for our leaders in college ministry. And so they would all come back from the summer. And you got to imagine, a lot of these kids had only been Christians for a matter of less than a year. So they're excited about their faith, and they're on fire for Jesus. But then what happens is they go home for the summer, and they realize, like, I still got that old sinful nature. And so they go back into old patterns of sin and do things that they thought they were done with. And so what we realized is coming into this leaders retreat every year, we had to do something that reminded them that Jesus has not only once and for all forgiven them for their sin, but he forgives them for their sin they committed that day and that summer. 
And so the, one of the things that we regularly did is we had them sit and we would, as staff, go down and wash their feet. And as we washed their feet, we would remind them of the finished work of Jesus. That yes, he had cleansed them, that they were right and justified in him, but also that he was cleansing them right now. Maybe you need that reminder today. Maybe it's like, okay, big picture, you're like, yep, I'm forgiven, I'm justified, I'm on my way to heaven, I believe in the cross of Jesus, but there is that actual sin that you committed this weekend. And you're like, okay, I know that Jesus forgives me, big picture, but will he forgive me for this? And Jesus is saying, through this story that's been preserved for us, I am gentle and humble in heart. I will get on my knees and I will wash that crap off your feet. I'll wash that stuff away. And so I think the application of this point is something that John writes later in the book of 1 John. He says, and I think he was probably thinking about this story. John 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See, if you say... No, Jesus, I don't need you to wash my feet. You have no share with him. Because this gospel is only for actual sinners, for people who are sinning in real time. And so if you're in that company, you're in good company. All of humanity, except for Jesus. And Jesus is here, present with us by his spirit, and he is saying, I will cleanse you because I love you. Not necessarily because you're lovable, but because I am loving. And so we receive this foot washing from Jesus. Okay, so that's the meaning of washing feet. The second thing we see in the text is the message from washing feet. Look with me at verses 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Okay, so the main meaning of Jesus washing his disciples' feet is that Jesus alone offers us once and for all forgiveness and justification and 
ongoing forgiveness and cleansing in sanctification. But there's also a secondary meaning and application for us as believers. And that is that Jesus is operating at two levels. So he's actually saying, I want you to do things like this. So I don't want you just to believe that service is a great way of life or to admire Jesus for his humility and service. He says, blessed are you if you do them. Okay, is your life characterized by humble service? By giving yourself to other people for their greater good. That is, to point them toward King Jesus and salvation in him. Here's why I say it that way. Because Jesus is tapping into the deepest possible motivation here for service. He's saying something quite counterintuitive. He's saying, you will never be a servant if your primary goal is to be seen as a servant. You will only be a servant if you understand that you are primarily being served by Jesus. Even your service is a service that is being done to you by Jesus and through you by the Holy Spirit. So we have this messed up mindset that keeps us from being servants. And that is, we can get into this idea that we are trying to pay God back. Jesus is not saying, I want you to pay me back. He is saying, I have done such an amazing thing to you. The only possible response, if you get this, is that you do these type of things for other people. Now, I'm trying to download this mindset into my kids. And there's this daily tool that I have to try to get my kids to understand the attitude of a servant. And it's called chores, right? And so, one of the chores that my kids have to do on a daily basis is put away their laundry. So we have five kids. We do two to three loads of laundry a day. So there's lots of opportunity to learn service. And so I remember one of my kids one time was kind of having a mopey day, and I could tell that that request was going to be heavy. And I thought, perfect opportunity for them to learn, right? Because you got to learn to serve even when you don't feel like it. And so I asked this kid, I said, hey, can you put away your laundry? This kid looks at me and says to me, why do I have to do everything around here? And I'm thinking, hey, I unloaded the dishwasher. I was getting dinner ready. I put the laundry in the washer and put it in the dryer. I already put my clothes away. You're probably going to toss your clothes on the floor, and I'm going to put half of them away. But the problem with his perspective, was that he was thinking of himself as the main contributor. And what I wanted to help him see 
was to widen the perspective and to see that he is being served far more than he's serving. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to understand you are being served far more than you're serving. I have done something for you so beautiful and so amazing by washing away your sins, something that you could never pay me back for. Could you just serve people around you? Could you see opportunities to wash other people's feet? Now, probably not literally, right? That's just weird in our culture. But there are tons of opportunities that we have as sons and daughters or as parents or even as grandparents to serve other people in our lives. And maybe right now, I'm not going to spell out the exact application for you, but maybe the Holy Spirit's even stirring something in you right now like, oh man, I think I have been neglecting this area of service. And maybe if I put that into practice, people would more fully see Jesus at work in my life. You know, Peter eventually got this. He understood this. He had this aha moment. And this is what he writes about our opportunity to serve in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. He says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, did you catch that? Peter says, I want you to serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, so that in everything he might get the glory. He's not just saying, I want you to serve. He's saying, I want you to serve in this certain way. I want you to serve as people who are being served by a greater servant. Here's how we have to serve. You're not going to want to do it. Nobody wants to serve. You're going to have to say, Jesus, would you do in me what I cannot do for you? Would you live in me by your spirit and help me to switch this laundry or unload this dishwasher or change this diaper or get this college students, do your roommate's dishes? That would be an act of the Holy Spirit, wouldn't it? That's so outside of our flesh to do something for someone else when they're so annoying. The Spirit of Jesus living in us in these practical ways. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, when we serve in the strength that God supplies, it becomes obvious to those around us that what we're doing is not human. It doesn't come from us because people don't act like that. People do it in a look-at-me, look-at-me sort of way, but people don't do it in a humble, consistent, faithful way. 
Okay, so we've looked at the meaning of washing feet, the message from washing feet, and then finally, we're going to zoom in on the man who washes feet. Look with me at verses 18 through 27. Jesus says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Okay, so Jesus is making a bold and unforeseen prediction in this text about what Judas is going to do. And so in a vague way, Jesus is telling the disciples before it happens that Judas is going to hand him over to the authorities and that he is going to be crucified at their hands. And so Peter, when they don't know who it's going to be, of course, wants to know. And so John is sitting next to Jesus, leaning his head on his shoulder, and he asks Jesus who it is. And Jesus tells them, it's the person that I give this piece of bread to. And so he dips it in the cup, and he gives it to Judas. Then he tells Judas to do what he's going to do quickly. And Jesus tells his disciples why he is telling them what's going to happen before it happens. And it's simply that they would understand, in Jesus' words, that I am he. He wants them to reflect back at this moment and understand that only God could know the future in such detail and give permission to the person who is about to crucify him. Only God can have that type of what in theological terms we call sovereignty absolute total control. He wants them to know, I was not a victim of circumstances when I died on the cross. That was absolutely, completely, in every way, plan A. And if the cross was plan A, and it's the worst thing that has ever happened in human history. 
the only innocent person who ever lived died as a criminal. That's at the human level. And at the divine level, the wrath of God, that is his just anger against human sin, was poured out on Jesus so that he got what we deserve. If that event was predetermined and foreseen by King Jesus and planned as plan A by God the Father, then we can trust that the circumstances of our lives, even the ones that we call bad, even our deepest suffering, have a purpose. The destination that God is taking us to is good, even if there are many detours along the way. Don't you feel a sense of total security when you are driving your car a long distance and you have Google Maps on? I hope it's Google Maps. Google Maps is better than Apple Maps. Hot take right there, all right? But you've got Google Maps up and, and you've got the time to your destination is five minutes before you're supposed to be there. And yet, there's lots of stop traffic along the way. Like, you got some red lines on the map. But, at least for me, as long as the destination says I'm going to be there five minutes early, you know what? I don't care. So I'm sitting in stop traffic. Doesn't matter. Why? Because I know the future. I'm going to be there on time. That's amazing. Jesus is saying, with me, you know the future. It's going to be good. You're going to get there on time. Do you know you're going to die right on time? Because God has determined the day of your first breath and the day of your last one. Do you know that your destination is set? You're going to heaven. Guys, as Christians, we're not going to hell anymore. That's great. Our destination is set. Jesus has told us in this world, you're going to have trouble, which means there's going to be lots of detours and lots of hard things that are coming your way. But none of those things can block your destiny, the destination that God has for your life. And here is where Jesus is taking you. This is incredible. Look with me at Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 37 to close. Jesus is talking here about our glorious future. And he is using our glorious future as motivation for us to be servants now. And here's what he says to us. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Okay, get this. We maybe think of heaven as us finally getting it right and paying God back. Finally, we're servants, we're worshipers, we're giving our all to God. Here's what Jesus said is going to happen in heaven. I'm going to have you guys all sit down at a table, 
and I'm going to wash your feet forever. Why? The giver gets the glory. And Jesus says, you will not outgive me. I will serve you forever. Because that was not an aberration from my character. That is who I am. I live to serve you, to love you, to lay down my life for you. And nothing in all creation can keep you from that destination. Because the cross has secured your place there. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are so unlike me. So unlike us. That what flows naturally out of your heart is service and humility. To the point of death, even death on a cross. But also that you are so strong and so capable that you can look into the future and you can tell us what's going to happen. I pray that we would be people who are marked by humble service because we know who we are in our identity in you. We know that we are forgiven and so we can lay down our lives for other people. And I pray that as we do that, people would see that there is something different in us and that we would have the opportunity to point them to you. That we would be able to say, it is not me, but it is Christ living in me. And that in that way, you would be glorified, that many people would be saved because you are living through us to serve others. God, would we be people, even today, who, who put our hands out and just say, God, my life is yours. Would you use me? In Jesus' name.